Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time around the world you are, you're welcome to be in the Arthur's Corner with ATN. I'm your guest, and I'm happy to have with us today a very good friend, a very good author, a very punctual author. Oh, so much going on. Her name is Sophie Schiller. She's going to talk to us today about the lost diary of Alexander Hamilton. And if you're familiar with that name, you also need to be familiar with the West Indies or the Danish Westies or Incroy when it became the American U.S. Virgin Islands. With that being said, let's go ahead and welcome Sophie. Sophie, good afternoon and welcome. Good afternoon, ATN. It's so nice to be back with you. Wow, thank you. I wish I was back in my normal self, but you hear my voice. <clears throat> I just have to go with it. That's all right. <laughs> we can well, hear you fine. Okay, good. Thank you. I feel so self-conscious about that. <laughs> so tell us what you've been doing since we've spoken with you last. Well, since I last spoke with you, um, we were discussing my book about Tibet. Since that time, yes. I wrote a book about Martinique. And then oh. I was persuaded by a very, very, very nice person from St. Croix, a wonderful gentleman. He called me up out of the blue, and he said, would you write a book about Alexander Hamilton, his formative what? years in St. Croix? It was literally out of the blue. I get this call. Yeah. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. They came to you. You didn't go to them. How about that? Yes, he had heard about my book, Transfer Day, and he said, you know, that he was interested in promoting the island of St. Croix to drawing more attention to St. Croix, the history, and he okay. said, you know, what what would be better than an Alexander Hamilton Museum and a book that, that would demonstrate Alexander Hamilton's life and teach people a little bit about how St. Croix influenced the life of Ale- the early, early years of Alexander Hamilton. Yes. And Hamilton even wrote later on in his life saying that the island of St. Croix and the education he got on the docks of Christiansted working in a counting house were the most useful part of his education of his whole life. And subsequent historians have determined that the job he had with Kruger on the docks of Christiansted were actually, that was the longest job he ever held in his life, working right there in St. Croix. Wow. You're talking about the present tense now, not so much going back with the Hamilton, are you? But when Alexander Hamilton was a young boy, in his early, early teens, he actually got a job with Beekman and Kruger, which was an important trading firm or counting house in St. Croix that mm-hmm. facilitated trade between the planters in St. Croix and the mainland United States. Um, so I they see. were working with, with ship captains, um, with smugglers even. You know, a lot of this <laughs> trade was, yeah, there was a lot going on. You know, nobody wants to pay taxes. They didn't want to pay, you know, no, the no. 
Oh, they were running away from they were running away from the, the mm-hmm. Danish uh, tax collectors. <laughs> I could imagine. I could imagine. And, uh, yeah, not only in the Danish cities, but in the mainland thirteen colonies too, they were smuggling in goods into little, uh, yeah. un, you know, little uh, out of the way bays and 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 ports yeah. where they could dock and and bring the illicit, you know, contraband, you know, like rum and all yeah. kinds of molasses. <laughs> so that, you know, because you know, <laughs> you know, who wants to pay? So, so they have wow. found The ship captains, you know, people like Benedict Arnold was one of these captains, you know. Um, yeah. Those famous um, early, early people during the revolution who actually ran little shipping businesses on the side. That's how they made their money. And Benedict right. Arnold was one of them. He was in St. Croix. And, you know, they didn't really yeah. pay the, you know, the Great Britain owned a monopoly on all the trade in the 13 colonies. And that wow. was, that's really what sparked the revolution was because they were paying so much in taxes. And then with the yeah. Stamp Act, that just yeah. really was, that was the straw that broke the camel's back that ignited the rebellion in 13 colonies. Yeah. Um, because they were, ta- you know, George Third, he needed to pay off his debts from the Seven Years' War, from the French and Indian War. Mm-hmm. So he said, I'm going to get it from the people who have money. <laughs> they want to tax the people that have the money. Mm-hmm. So, And who has the money? Yeah. It's the people that are doing, you know, the trade yeah. that are, you know, that need to, um, you know, the Stamp Act was really on all papers, all newspapers wow. and all kind, you know, so, so playing cards. I mean, they, they were taxing anything they could get their hands on. And this just drove the, you know, there was the, the you've heard of the Stamp Act rebellion in yes. in the colonies. There were rebellions in St. Kitts and Nevis too. <laughs> yeah. They want to get their money, right? Yes. I mean, the people were just outright rebelling. You know, they burned down the house yeah. of the stamp collector. They threatened yeah. to hang the guy. Yeah. I mean, it was. You know, his own personal servant that, that managed to plead for his life and, and saved his life. But these yeah. these colonists in the West Indies and the 13 colonies, you know, they were they just did not want the overreaching arm of King George III into their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's what sparked the yes. rebellion. And this is the world that Alexander Hamilton grew up in. So he was in the middle of all these rebellions, and he read about it in the newspapers. And the ship's captains would bring back stories when they would sit in the taverns in Christiansted, and they would talk about what's going They brought news. These yes. captains, they, they brought... Let me interrupt a minute. How old was, was uh, Alexander when he was in his childhood? In well, he was about 10 years old when he, okay. 10 or 11, when he came to St. Croix from what we okay. believe was St. Eustatius. Um, his father had gotten a job offer from a Mr. Ingram in St. Kitts to collect a debt from two Scottish gentlemen in St. Croix. So that mm-hmm. was his father's reason for wanting to be in St. Croix was he was going to get a nice commission from collecting that debt. He was, a, you know, was helping mm-hmm. helping his boss out. So yeah. so Alexander and his mother and brother came to Christiansted as well. There's all kinds of stories about that. But so he, you know, at the age of 10, 11, you know, he entered this world okay. of St. Croix. And yeah. soon after, maybe around 1768, maybe when he was about 
um, 13, 14 years old, that's when he started working for Kruger, Nicholas Kruger, who became a very prominent businessman in St. Croix. And that's the when name, he started. Excuse me. That they, name Kruger is really prominent here in St. Thomas, too. That's right. That's right. That's actually a Dutch name. And the Kruger okay. family, they were originally Dutch colonists. Um, so they were all over the, you know, the West Indies, but also in New yeah. York colony. Um, his yeah. grandfather had been like a, a governor. You know, he, he came from a very, very prominent family. So um, yeah. the Kruger family was a very prominent Dutch colony in the New World. And Nicholas ran the West Indian branch of the family business in New York City. So, uh, and he, you know, they always need good assistance. They need good people who can, you know, write very clearly. They didn't have a photocopy machines, so they had to take the paper, they had to write letters, copy invoices. I mean, so, <laughs> you know, Alexander Hamilton was doing all of this. He was like, yes, at some point, yes. he was even running the whole company when Kruger got sick imagine. and went back to New York. Could imagine, yes, yes, yes. Let me drop you a minute, please, because we have a listener who's been patiently listen to what you have. Let's go ahead and hear who this uh, guest is. Our listener from Area Code 614, welcome aboard. Go ahead, tell us who you are. Um, my name is Doug Hamilton. Oh, Hamilton. Hi, Doug. How nick- are you? <laughs> Great. I thought I'd listen in today. It's so Very nice. good. So, so, ATN, let me introduce you to Doug. Doug is actually, uh, I think, I believe a fifth-generation descendant of Alexander wow. Hamilton. And yes. he speaks, he goes around speaking, and he defends his his Very ancestor good. in the media. He wrote a prominent article <laughs> in, recently in a newspaper defending Alexander Hamilton. Um, and yeah. he's a very outspoken advocate for his ancestor. And he's <laughs> been just, you know, a wonderful representative for, you know, in the Hamiltonian world. You know, he, he brings yeah. this personal knowledge about, you know, growing up hearing stories about his great ancestor. <laughs> okay. Well, very good. Thank you, Mr. Hamilton, for being here with us. You're welcome well, to sit as long as you Sure. I appreciate you right spreading ahead. the news about Hamilton. One of the most interesting experiences of my life was starting this adventure when I got the call to action by this gentleman from St. Croix who said, Sophie, you got to write this story. So I delved into the world of the 18th century. Um, I had yeah. to, you know, really, you know, get myself out of the 21st century. I listened to a lot of music from that period and watched uh, yeah. a lot of documentaries and TV shows from that period to get myself, you know, into the mind of somebody from the 18th century. Yeah. And then I actually went to St. Croix and I walked the streets that Alexander Hamilton would have walked. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I tried to imagine what would it have been like to be, well, I grew up in St. Thomas, so I, and I did work in trading firms in St. Thomas. So I did have, I drew on a lot of my own experience as well, but I tried to put that in an 18th century context, which took uh-huh. a bit of work, but once I got it. And once I started doing it, then I was able to flow through it rather easily. And then I asked myself, you know, what would be the the characters? You know, you're walking down the street, you know, company got a, um, King's got a, in St. Croix, 
who would be the kind of people you would meet? What would they look like? What would they talk about? You know, what would be, you know, on everybody's mind? What would they be discussing? And I found, like, one of the most interesting characters who I put in the book, a guy I love, was a guy named Peter Tungello. And he actually existed. You know, we found him in the records. We know a little bit about him. He was the captain. He was the captain of the Free Black. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me his last name again, please. Tongello. T-O-N-G-E-L-O. He really existed. He's in in the archives in Denmark. Um, He was an amazing, amazing, larger-than-life character. He was the captain of the Free Black Militia. So he had a very important role. I mean, you could almost say that he was working for the Danish king. You know, he was was a a militia captain. So um, he had a very important role. And I wanted to make (laughs) him a character in the book. I thought, you know, any book about St. Croix has got to have, you know, a larger-than-life, real Crucian character. So um, originally I wanted to add – Mingo Tamarin as a character. Mingo Tamarin was also a Crucian, but he also lived in St. Thomas. He participated in the quelling of the St. John Rebellion of 1733. So when I ran the numbers, I figured he had to be born around 1700. He would have been a little bit too old to put in my book at the time, you know, 1760. Five, yes. you know, so I figured, you know, I can't really add him as a as a as a character if he was even alive at that age. So then, uh, his the person that came after him was Peter Tongello. So I got a lot of information. Um, a Danish lady mm-hmm. from Denmark had written a whole paper in Danish, um, and I got that paper and I translated it, and I you know about the three black companies that existed. And so, and then I created this character and how he helped Alexander Hamilton in yes. one of his quests, rather, to, to free a, an enslaved person that he had actually, his, somehow he got, whether it was through his mother or through family members, that um, he had this, he had this, and he became like a friend to him. And then when he... When his mother passed away, and this is the really sad part of the story, when his mother passed away, everything that his mother owned, everything in the household, including the slaves, which were almost like family members, everything was taken away and given to his, which I guess you'd call a step. Um, Johan Levine. And then he gave it to, yeah, right, so his half-brother. So Peter Levine, who wasn't even really in St. Croix at the time, so all these, you know, things went to his half-brother. And so as part of the story, what I did was I created so that Alexander Hamilton tries to free his friend. Um, and, And so that becomes like a major plot point and how Peter Tongello kind of trains him and gives him his, first experience as a soldier, giving him military training, weapons training, teaching him how to load his musket and how to fire his musket. So that becomes mm. part of the story. And, that, and I show yeah. that how St. Floyd probably got, gave him his first real training in militia and captaincy and loading and shooting muskets in, you know, a quick amount of time. So, so I used 
Peter Tongello really as a as a main character that helps shape and mold Alexander Hamilton in being the military figure that he was during the revolution. I see. There was more of the revolution over on St. Croix than there was on St. Thomas because we were smaller. Now we were. We are still smaller because the island doesn't have the plantations as you have in St. Croix. So that's, right, that's exactly. So St. Croix was very important to our American Revolution because there was so um, you know the people in the islands were absolutely helping the colonists, the revolutionaries, with um, material support, monetary support, uh, guns yeah. and powder, and a lot of it. We know now that a lot of the powder was shipped in in glass jars that were mismarked so that it could get through the British. Um, so, and absolutely, you know, the people in St. Croix, at one point, and most people don't know this, but at one point, the amount of sugar production in St. Croix was so yes. great that it was even greater yes. than the island of Jamaica, which is a huge yeah. island. If you look at the map, Jamaica is tremendously huge. But St. Croix yes. was producing sugar like crazy. And, um, you know, a lot of this went to support the revolution. Yes. I remember in uh, UVI when I was doing a class there, we were explaining to students why the, stu- the, the, why the uh, slaves in St. Croix are not as many as sufficient. Well, let me, let me back a little bit. In St. Thomas, let's go back to St. Thomas. St. Thomas is very tiny, couldn't really spread out to have a plantation. And that's one of the reasons why we wouldn't have as many slaves over here on St. Thomas as there were on St. Croix. And the reason why they selected sugar cane was because sugar canes don't need a lot of room. They can they can grow straight up. Is that correct? Is that what you were talking about? Yes, um, yes, yes. You know, it's so interesting. When I was a little girl, you know, I grew up on St. Thomas on the north side of the island. I grew up on a mountain. Yes. Um, yes. And, you know, sometimes just playing around in the bushes, I would come across cotton, <laughs> like a wild cotton bush. And I would, like, you know, pull the cotton out of the pod, and I'd be like, really? wow, really? how did this yeah, I have, yes. yeah, I have memories of this, and I'd be like, "How did how did this cotton get here?" You know, yes, and it's true to. that it's true that they had cotton plantations yes. on St. Thomas, and you know, you can still see yes. wild bushes to this day. Um, and I think yes. Alexander Hamilton, some of his relatives, his brother, and maybe some cousins tried to start plantations in St. Thomas, but they all failed. St. Croix really, you know, it's flatter, it's a lot flatter, and it's gotten yes. more land. And so that's where the the real production, you know, the sugarcane production was going on until the 1960s in St. Croix, yeah, and the rum production and all that, yeah. Wow. Mr. Hamilton, should I call you that or <laughs> call you by your first name? <laughs> Okay, good. You're welcome to jump in. What else would you like to uh, mention about your family? Um, you know, well, 
you know, I wasn't planning to talk here, but I listened to all the interesting conversations going on. I'm yes. taking some notes. Yes. I didn't realize um, uh, about your heritage on St. Thomas there. Um, yes. I never thought much about the cotton uh, being grown there, but I think that's a, a very interesting story. Yes. And uh, your comment about St. Croix being flatter and better for sugar. I, you know, I've been to St. Croix. Um, um, and I just never thought about that, but uh, that's the kind of, uh, you know, learning those kinds of things, you know, you know, help make you more, you know, understanding of, of his life there and, you know, yeah. what he had to do to, to get by. And, um, that's right. you know, I've always kind of, I've always kind of wondered about his education. Um, yeah. we know that Hugh Knox was there for him. Um, yeah. uh-huh. But um, you know, Hugh Knox was only there in uh, seventeen, early seventeen seventy-two. Some people say late seventeen seventy-one. But you mm-hmm. wonder, you know, could he have really been that much of a uh, influence on him? But you have to remember, working for Nicholas Kruger, Nicholas Kruger was a graduate of King's College as well. And so, yeah. um, so was you know, did you know a friend of mine, Bill Crystal. Uh, who uh, does some interpretation, uh, what, he would tell me that there's somebody else that was on St. Croix that, that helped, uh, you know, teach Hamilton. And, and so uh, part of me is thinking that, that Nicholas Kruger, you know, probably helped him out a little bit. And, um, and I also think that after, after his mother's death, uh, and, you know, he went to, um, he went to uh, Peter Litton's house, and then Linton committed suicide, and so there's oh. there's some speculation. There's still speculation on where did he go from there. And I I think yeah. he did go to the Stevens house. And I think Edward Stevens, you know, he wasn't working in a job at the time. He was he was getting educated. And Hamilton oh. there with him, you know, he was probably sitting there and listening to the you know what Edward was working on and asking him questions. And I think he was probably picking up something there too, but. Again, that's just speculation. Um, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I did write scenes in my novel where um, Alexander Hamilton, along with Ajax, his own personal servant, would sit with Nettie Stevens and go over their chemistry books and natural history books. Um, And I do describe Nettie Stevens as being his best friend and who gives him his books when he goes away to college and he leaves before Alex leaves. So I show him as you know, come on, guy, you got to keep keep that learning, keep that studying. You're brilliant. You're going to make it someday. Mm-hmm. Don't quit. Don't give up. Because I think, you know, when he saw his friend go away to the state, go to New York Colony, I think that probably was a big loss in his life. And he probably felt, you know, I'm losing my one connection to what I really, really want, which is to go to school and become an educated person. And because he really wanted to become a great man, you know, he wanted to yeah. found something, you know, in 18th century mind, mm-hmm. fame was different yeah. from today, you know, fame was to become educated, to do something great, you know, he read all the Roman and Greek statesmen, he read Plutarch, you know, so he, he was educated in the classics, and in his mind, that's the path that he wanted to follow, so I show that in the novel, you know, how he's mm-hmm. studying all these books and dreaming. And, you know, when you do a, a, a day-to-day job and it becomes like rote and you just do it every single day, writing letters, going to the customer's house, all these things, 
But still, behind the scenes, your mind is, is working on a different level. You're thinking about the goals you want to attain. You're thinking about the dreams you want to pursue. So he was in one world, but dreaming of another world. So, and that's what I try to show in the novel. You know, all these yeah. people influencing him, like Doug mentioned, you know, the Reverend Knox and all these people, they're feeding him positive messages. Hey, you can do more than just working on the docks, working in the counting house. You can do more. You have to keep working on yourself and you have to keep dreaming and you're going to make it someday. And um, there's the, the common, I guess, the story, the trope, whatever you want to call it, that people discuss all the time is how, you know, Alexander Hamilton wrote that hurricane letter after that tragic, terrible hurricane and it was published and how, you know, the business community got together to finance his education in New York. Well, I wanted to kind of dispel that bit of a myth that has been repeated Mm -hmm. over and over for, you know, 200 years. I wanted to dispel that myth, you know, based on the research of a historian who I worked closely with, that's Michael Newton, who wrote Discovering Hamilton and Hamilton, The Formative Years, two amazing, amazing books which I can link to in the comments section of this uh, blog post. Um, so I wanted to kind of dispel that myth using Michael Newton's research that really it was his own cousin, um, the daughter of his uncle, written uncle, who gave him the proceeds of a sugar shipment because she became heirs of um, Lytton when he passed away. Um, so when Alexander Hamilton came of age and when his cousin came to collect her part of the estate, um, I show in the novel how really she was the one that said, Alex, you have to go and finish your education. And she consigned to him a shipment of sugar, which was worth a lot of money in those days. And he used that to finance his education. Some, some countries around the world at least in the uh, Europe, would uh, take salt as their v- value. Here we use your cane for our value. Interesting, yes. isn't it? Yes. Uh, Remember what really was the white gold of the 18th century? Um, it, it was. Yeah. It made a lot of fortunes, especially in the British colonies. A lot of yeah. those sugar planters had ha- had seats in Parliament because they became so yeah. wealthy. Um, it made huge fortunes. Yes. Interesting. Well, let me take a little break right now because we have listeners who listen in, and we don't know exactly what time of the day they are listening in. But nevertheless, we invite, we invite our guests to listen in. Our number is area code 515-605-9812. Now, I encourage our listeners to write that number down because we're not online on a regular basis. It's haphazardly we're coming online because we have several other things we're working on and we're not open yet. So once we do, we'll get far line. Again, that number is area code 515-605-9812. And I have to pass on to Doug. Doug? Welcome aboard our St. Thomas and Croix connection by way of <laughs> in the August corner with ATM. Welcome aboard. Thank you. 
Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Now, I want you to, not I want you, I don't like to use the word I want you. I'd like to invite you at any time you want to look online at our website and you see something interesting, go right ahead. Pass the word on. We do that. I'll do that. Very good. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Okay, back to Silky. Not Silky. I'm sorry. I'm going back to my childhood because we had a Silky guy who we used to play with. Um, he also was a bat player and when we were playing bat. And I, that came out of my head. I don't know where. Was he a cricket player? <laughs> No, that's me. I don't know cricket. But we used to do uh, softball. Yeah, homemade softball. When I was a little girl, every Sunday we would see the cricket players from Down yes. Island, from the British yes, Islands, yes. and we used to love yes. to see them. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on. Let's pick up where we were. So where where were we? I'm, I'm so enthralled with what's going on. I'll leave it up to you, Sophie. So St. Croix really was the training ground for a founding father. And I guess many people just don't realize the importance that the island betrayed, the characters, the the feelings of rebellion that were running through those islands. These people were free-spirited people, these colonists that lived down there, Mm. telling them how to run their business or run their life. They were very rebellious Mm. against the king. Um, so yeah. this spirit of rebellion uh, ran through, also through um, Alexander Hamilton's veins as well. You know, he, there's nothing greater than freedom. And um, to see, you know, a king from far across the ocean um, putting laws and rules about how you run your life and run your business, well, that urged them to rebel against that and um, claim their freedom. So it was a long, long struggle, but Alexander Hamilton played a very, very crucial role, very crucial role, especially as Washington's aide-de-camp and mm. leading, leading forces into, let's say, the war of Yorktown. You know, he, they were very, very instrumental in, you know, the American cause and the cause of freedom and the cause of independence. So where did where did he get that early training, early education? It was St. Croix, you know. So he learned how to write beautifully, and he wrote the most gorgeous, beautiful letters. And he was brilliant, and he perfected his handwriting. All these things got him noticed by General Washington. So he he was an outstanding person um, in his personal life, in his professional life, in his military life, in his career he was just out he was outstanding in in all areas but it didn't come because he had a coddled childhood in new england or in one of the you know let's say landed gentry backgrounds of of some of the other founding fathers he really had a very tough childhood you know his mother died when he was young his father left the family he had to show this resilience the kind of resilience that made him stronger and tougher. So where did that come from? It came from from his childhood. So really his childhood set him up for this amazing journey that his life would take him on as being a you know founding father of the United States. And he was he really it it started in that 
boyhood of his, when he would be reading Plutarch and Livy and all the great historians and dreaming about becoming something great. Um, that was, you know, that was the, the world of Alexander Hamilton as a boy in Christianstead. And I think, didn't he say later on in life that the greatest part of his education was the time that he spent um, in the islands on St. Croix? Absolutely. Yes, he did say that. And, you know, I try to show it in the book how, you know, he overcame so many odds. You know, he overcame yellow fever. He overcame the death of his, you know, the death of his mother, the abandonment of his father. He overcame a hurricane. You know, so he had all these challenges that he had, you know, not being able to go to school in his younger years. You know, he really... You know, he had a stigma attached to his birth. You know, there was a lot of things that were against Alexander. You know, it was so, if yeah. he grew up in a way, he didn't have that silver spoon in his mouth. He grew up with a wow. lot of challenges. So he had to overcome all of it. Yeah. I had a question. Who was his doctor? Was a Danish doctor over in Tinkoi? Yes, 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 yes. I speculate in the book about who his doctor was. Um, we do know the names of some of the doctors from the census records. So I do, yeah, dis- yeah I do. Dis- there's scenes in the book about okay. who well, probably was attending to him and his mother. Yeah. Okay. I think the well, I know we have this hearing. Go ahead. Go ahead, Doug. The names in the book is Dr. Hearing. Yeah. Okay, and that's more of that. from the records. Yeah, there's plenty okay, of records okay. about that. Okay, okay. So there's this parallel, parallel, excuse me, there's a parallel connection right here that I see. Uh, Dr. Newt Hansen was the prob- most important doctor, Danish doctor here, and he considered himself a virgin islander. And he yes, did he a lot did. of things. Yes. Yes, he I didn't did. Know if he was, I, was, I didn't know if he went to St. Croix to handle or to manage or help solve Right. So I read that. his memoirs, which are beautifully written, gorgeous memoirs. He discusses the transfer in 1917. Yes. He discusses his early life and how he got to the Danish West Indies. Um, mm-hmm. And he does discuss, you know, taking the ferry over to St. John to help people over there. I'm not sure yeah. if he ever went to St. Croix. I'm not sure. There might have been another doctor there. Um, but, yeah, you know, the Nude Hansen, when I grew up, the Nude Hansen Memorial Hospital was the hospital. Yeah. It was named after Nude yeah. Hansen. Yeah. Oh, yes. And he has his, his, his book about it, too. Anyhow, back yes, to St. Croix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back to St. Croix. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tell us a little bit about uh, what would have happened to. Um, Alexander, if he were, they had become a Washington camp or aide de camp. Tell us about that, please. Well, he 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 became known because he had a lot of connections. Um, he knew uh-huh. a lot of people in New York Colony based on his business dealings and business connections. Um, sure. A man named. Um, well, there was Lawrence, there was um, Hercules Mulligan was another character. So he, you know, and he started his own militia company. So he made a name for himself 
in the early days mm. of the revolution. So his name became known, and he was urged. What they urged Washington take this boy. He's got amazing potential, or young man at that time. Then he was a young man. They said he has mm-hmm. definitely has potential, and so he took him on, and he worked for Washington for many, many, many years. This part of yes. history is not like my specialty. I focus mostly on the early, early years. Uh, that's okay. where I spent my time. You see, because when I wrote the book, I wanted to write it from the standpoint that I only really know, you know, what happened in the early, early part. So I could develop okay. him as he would have developed. He didn't know yes. where he was going to end up. So I wanted to kind of write it from the standpoint of somebody who's just opening his eyes to the world and learning wow. about the world. You know, so Fantastic. I wanted to kind of write it from that standpoint, yeah. Very good. None of us know. <laughs> well, I'm listening to you, and, I have in my head the sub- subway in, subway in, in St. Thomas and how you were involved with that in, in one of your books. But right, that, so, that so I, you know, I... Right, so I did grow up in St. Thomas. That had a huge impact on my life. You know, yes. it's just the I feel the repercussions of that. You know, to this day, um, yes. that you know, growing up in the island, absorbing the culture, the people, <laughs> the culture, the history, it really yes. affected me. You know, it yes. really, really yes. did. In a good yes, way. In a great way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let, yeah. Let me go back. Let me go back to to uh, Saint Croix. When you were saying about the the riot. Were you talking about the fire bun? No, 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 no. The, the fire okay. bun was in 1848, so that's like okay. more than 100 years after. I'm, I'm talking okay. about that was stamp riots in St. Cook and Nevis. And most okay. people in St. and Nevis did not want to pay more taxes to King George. No, no, no. Okay. So they went and they showed okay. their options. Uh, by burning down the house of the of the stamp collector and threatening to yeah. hang the guy and, and burning all the stamp papers and I mean they they really there was tremendous rebellion all throughout yeah. any any British colony really any British colony the Lesser Antilles like you wouldn't think these small islands you wouldn't think think it's a measles, you know, but absolutely, these people, they did not, anyone interfering with their livelihood or interfering with their lives. <laughs> they measured it. They measured yeah. it. Especially with a hammock outside. I like this. The uh, cigar and then the, the whiskey with the rum. <laughs> right. Okay. Very rebellious people. I think to this day, aren't yes. they very rebellious? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. They don't want any government interference. <laughs> Nobody, nothing. Yeah. Just, yeah. Right. Yeah. So what else, what else you, got, you got to go on, you have in mind? Well, um, I think if, if readers are interested in learning more about this world that created Alexander Hamilton, they can find yes. it in the book. Um, you know, they can learn about the characters, the people that he knew, like Doug mentioned, Hugh Knox, um, Edward Stevens, who Alexander called Nettie, Nicholas Cougar, and then there was Beekman, mm-hmm. and all kinds of interesting characters, ship captains, 
um, that Alexander Hamilton would have you know, had in his world and where he would have received his education and training. Um, you know, we as children, we absorb a lot of our attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors from the adults that populate our world. And we, it's like absorbed almost subconsciously. We're not even aware of it. You know, so some of these ship captains, you know, these, you know, hardy men, you know, that ran their own ships, they would have had a tremendous effect on Alexander Hamilton's character as well. You know, mm. these are people that very tough, very hardy, you know, they're very um, not taking any, you know, talk from anyone. You know, these are pretty tough people. So, you know, he had to survive in that kind of a very tough environment, um, as well as the other things that were going on. I mean, you know, slave ships from Africa would arrive, and they would have slave auctions. I mean, these kinds of things were going on. What kind of effect does that have on a person's psyche? You know, how does that affect a person? You know, like that would have, a, I think that would have a tremendous effect. You know, we don't think about it nowadays, but, you know, this kind of stuff went on in those days. And people you know, lived in that kind of environment. You know, how yeah. did that affect you? So I tried to show in the book, you know, how his young psyche, uh, he was a, you know, extreme abolitionist in his life. You know, he was firmly against it. I believe he founded an abolitionist society in the 13 colonies. So he was extremely against um, the institution of slavery. He was affected, no question, by what he saw mm -hmm. in the West Indies. Absolutely. You were saying what about a similarity? I have one for you right now. <laughs> Wapa constantly has loss of power, backward power, loss of power, <laughs> backward power. Yes. Oh, I remember the doing my homework by by uh, hurricane lamps. Yeah, my, we had to have hurricane lamps in the house because <laughs> exactly, exactly. But we still go through it. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. trouble in it a little bit. Some yeah. things never change. <laughs> never change, yeah. Well, they change in a way, but in a different way, it still comes back to where they were. Before we go any further, let's go ahead and let the audience know where they can get a copy of your book or books. Betty Ed Books. Okay. B O O P O S. Yeah. Okay, so if you're on St. um you can go to Undercover Books in Christensted, and you can find copies of my books. Um, yeah. if, if it's not in stock, they can order it. Um, some copies of the Lost Diary of Alexander Hamilton are on their way to St. Croix. So if anybody mm -hmm. wants to read it on the beach, they can get a copy. Um, <laughs> and they can also go to Amazon.com, and they can order a paperback. They can order a hardcover, or they can order an e-book. They could go to barnesandnobles.com, and they could also order it. So it's definitely out there, um, and it's called The yeah. Lost Diary of Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> Doug, what about you? Do you have anything uh, published that uh, our audience might want to take a look at? Well, um, you know, I've, I've learned through, through history that I have two um, – one ancestor and one relative that have written books about Alexander Hamilton. Uh, John Church okay. Hamilton wrote one in the 1840s, and, and Alan McLean Hamilton wrote in the uh, about 1910. And um, those are the two most criticized books that I've seen. So um, I, kind, 
I kind of stay away from uh, publishing <laughs> stuff uh, for the Hamilton family. In fact, yes. I sometimes publish under something else other than yes. uh, than Doug Hamilton. But um, I try to get involved with um, um, uh, the the historian that was mentioned here earlier, Michael Newton. Um, um, I can't tell you we have we have a lot of conversations about um, the Littons, the Huggins, the um, the Evans, the Isles, the the people that uh, that grew up on that that, that island and, and and piecing together you know and and I remember I like to say I was a little bit of a part of uh, Jemima Fawcett who um, mm-hmm. uh, now she was on Nevis but um, uh, she did. Um, uh, tr- you know, live on different islands there, but um, so you know, whatever we can do to find out more about um, uh, Hamilton and Hamilton's life uh, in the in the Caribbean is, uh, is to me very important. It's the foundation sure. of his life. Yes, I could imagine. Yes. Well, again, I well, repeat, Doug has been a huge mm-hmm. supporter of you know just this Hamilton journey of discovering more about his life that you know until. Uh, so a while ago, most people didn't know anything about his life. Even the name of his mother was kind of kept hidden for many, many years mm-hmm. until one lady financed a support to her, financed a trip to down to Nevis, and she discovered in the records the actual name. No one knew the name of Alexander Hamilton's mother and for a long mm-hmm. time until Gertie yeah. Addison went down there. And since that time, now that we know she, her name was Rachel Fawcett, well, then now historians in today can learn more about the Fawcett family. Like Doug mentioned, Jemima Fawcett Isles Gurley Peters was her sister. So, but we wouldn't have known that if, unless we knew that his mother's name was really Rachel Fawcett. So it's just, it's, it's constant discovery. They're constantly finding new records. Um, Michael Newton is, uh, he has a blog post, Discovering Hamilton, where he's constantly putting up new information about his father, James Hamilton, about all these characters, these uncles and aunts and cousins that lived. You know, the, the West Indies in those days was a very interconnected and interdependent part of the world. And these people moved around islands constantly from Nevis to St. Eustatius to St. Croix to St. Thomas. They were constantly on the move, and they were keeping in touch with each other. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. A little bit like today. I mean, don't we still get um, shipments of um, food from the British islands? I, I remember as a little girl seeing the, the schooners bringing in all the fruit and vegetables <laughs> down from, from Tortola and Virgin Gorda. Yeah. Still do. So there's a lot yeah. of interdependence between the West Indian islands, and it was evident in Alexander Hamilton's world, too. He had relatives all over the place. I mean, they were everywhere. Yes, I remember that. Everywhere. Yeah. So, so uh, I, do have, I do have fond research. memories. I do have fond memories of um, uh, the trip to St. Croix and um, was able to visit the, the Grange house. Ah. <laughs> now, now we know that that Hamilton probably never played much of a part in there, but um, I did get a chance to meet a Miss Armstrong, um, who oh, at the time her family nice. owned the yeah. house. Yeah. And and, um, and and when I was in town, I think this was probably in the late '80s. Someone says, "Well, you ought to go out to the house," and so uh, they made arrangements for my wife and I to go out 
and and look at the house and um, um, a nurse's aide answered the door and invited us in. We sat down and she says, uh, Mrs. Armstrong will be down. And this 90 year old woman, a very, very attractive. Her hair was very well kept. She had a very nice house coat on. Uh, she invited me to go downstairs and, and she says, well, they've told stories that Hamilton was here. And if he was, he would have been in this room. And so, I was able to see the room, and then we went back upstairs and had a little conversation with her, and uh, she told me an interesting story. You know, I figured that she grew up on the island, and, um, and you know, her family had been there for hundreds of years, and so I asked yeah. her about that, and she says, <clears throat> she says, well, actually, I came here during the war, um, and this would have been World War II, or just before wow. that, and she worked for the she worked for the State Department, and when she got on the island, there was no war. But as, while she was on the island, war was declared, and she could not get back to to um, oh. you know America. So she spent the war there, and and met and oh. fell in love with this Armstrong fella. And I said, yes. well, "Where are you from?" She says, "Indianapolis." <laughs> <laughs> And I asked if there was uh, if anybody had ever gone back to try to find any of the graves, and they suggested that um, over the years, I guess there's been some, you know, you know, it's a, it's a wet island; they get a lot of rain there. Yeah. And that over the years, uh, you know, a lot of the graves <laughs> were washed were washed out. So, yes, yeah, it's so sad. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. sad when you think about it. Yes, it's it's yeah. very tropical and. It's, you know, a lot of rainfall every year, and it does a lot of damage. That's how actually one year when I was a little girl, there was a big, big rainstorm, and the next day when we went to school, then after school we went to the park to play. In We found, my, me and a few classmates, we found in the dirt old Danish coins from the 19th wow. century, and I still have them to this yeah. day. But wow. just the rain kind of washed away the dirt, and I still have these coins. Yeah. Um, like from the 1860s and 1880s that they were in the park. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you live you live in history when you're in the Virgin Islands. You know, you you just surrounded by history, and the islands are, you know, they're they're very inspirational for any writer of historical fiction or just of the world of the 18th century. You know, there's still so many beautiful buildings and architecture. You know, Christiansted is a gold mine for the most gorgeous, you know, class neoclassical architecture and right right on King Street. You wanna hear something? On my internet websites, social media sites, whatever one I go to, ninety nine point nine percent of the time my password is written in Danish. So I know what it means. Not know many people. Recently, there's been a big influx of Danish tourism from Denmark. They want to learn about their history. These were their islands yeah, for 250 years. 
Um, the Danish the, influence uh, is still very strong. Yes, and Terry, since Terry, when we had that uh, what, a year ago, two years ago, in, uh, 1917 to 19, 2017, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the, yeah, the, the, um, the transfer from Denmark to the USA. <laughs> right. So I, I believe the Danish uh, prime minister was there, a lot of Danish officials, the yeah. ambassador. You know, it was a very yeah. big, uh, important celebration. Exactly. Yeah, and it, and it did spark a lot of interest among the Danes, absolutely. But you know one sad thing, I have to bring it out. You know when we have the police brutality in the United States? Believe it or not, that's what happened when America took over the Virgin Islands. Many of the military guys who were, I'm going to put this politely, <laughs> who were um, racial did not accept the people match. Because most of the people were was de- descendants, dependents of, not dependents, the children of, children of immigrants. So that's one of the things that we learned an amazing aspect mm-hmm. about that really sad time was the fact that the Virgin Islanders would not accept uh, segregation on their island. So they stood up against that, and they won in the end, so there was no segregation. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, St. Thomas, St. Croix, St. John had always been highly integrated societies and interdependent, where everyone relied on everyone. And yeah. so, so they had been living, you know, together for for hundreds of years. So the, the, mm-hmm. the whole concept was a foreign concept to anyone in the West Indies. Um, they lived side by side for hundreds of years. You know, we have so many different um, types of people in the in the Virgin Islands. Yes. We have, you know, the French descendants. Um, oh, yes. We have, you know, all kinds of, you know, different people with some different backgrounds that live together. And, and that's, that's when the islands are the strongest is when the people really live together, together. in yeah. kind of like a, a cohesive unit of, of, of people. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes the island such a fascinating place because it absorbs mm-hmm. many cultures, many backgrounds, oh, many, yes. many languages. Mm-hmm. And it comes up with this whole new little culture, you know, this, West yeah. Indian culture, which is so fascinating, and I never tired yeah. of studying it. Let me go ahead and ask Doug here what just happened. You, did you have the noise a few seconds ago? That was a seaplane coming from St. Louis to St. Thomas, and it lands on a seaplane on, on the harbor. So, Doug, next time you travel, you don't have to go to the airport. You can Fly <laughs> from the airport in St. Croix, but land in St. Thomas. So I'm sure you never had that before. Okay, well, let's move on. We're just about out of town, so let's go back to your location of your books. Where can our listeners get your books? 
Can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I was waiting to tell us about your book. Great. So I hope I hope the listeners got an idea about Alexander Hamilton's childhood, about the island of St. Croix, about the interesting characters and the situations that he would have been in. And I hope they get an appreciation for what made this unique and very special sounding father such a larger than life character and his huge contributions to the United States to the financial system. He got all that training on St. Croix, all that training about international finance, um, wow. about trade. He, he, all that he learned in St. Croix. So I really hope that the listeners will get the, an, a new appreciation for this person, Hamilton's contributions to the making of modern America. And it started really in his useful, the most useful part of his education, which was in St. Croix. So I really hope that, you know, people will see him in a new light and say, wow, this person, he came so far from, you know, a background where he didn't have a silver spoon in his mouth. You know, he had to do it on his yeah. own. He's, he's the true yeah. self-made man. And I hope people okay. will have a, an appreciation for what a truly self-made person he was and the legacy he left for Americans in our day. Yes. And tell us where your books are available. Okay, so if you're on St. Croix, you can go to Undercover Books, and they'll be stocking The Lost Diary of Alexander Hamilton. And you could also go online to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, and you can get an e-book, a paperback, or a hardcover. So absolutely, um, I'd love for readers to go on this journey to Alexander Hamilton's boyhood in St. Croix and, you know, learn more about what made him such a fascinating person and how he became so great. Um, and it really started yeah. from his boyhood on that small island. Okay, great. Great, great. Now let me turn to uh, Doug. Doug, do you have any closing lines you'd like to pass on to us? Well, um, you know, first, thank you for, you know, hosting this event. You know, you talk about You're the welcome. history. I think there's a lot of history um, on St. Croix that that a lot of us would like to hear more about and get a better understanding of, you know, the this environment that Hamilton spent, um, uh, you know, six or seven years of his life in. Um, yes. um, and so thank you for hosting this. Um, well, but all right. Sophie and, and I, you know, I look forward to hearing more from you. Yes. And okay. thank so you, thank Doug, for being such an instrumental part. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. You made it so much more yeah. special, adding your personal experience as a descendant of Alexander Hamilton. Thank you so much. <laughs> and thank you, yes, again, thank you. as usual, for hosting a great show. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Doug, thank you. Anytime you have something you want to share with us, by all means, get a hold of me. I have your number. No- I have your number. Oh, I have your number. No- okay. Good enough. Good enough. Fantastic. <laughs> thank you, uh, Sophie. Okay. We're glad to have you, and we'll see you around next time around, okay? My pleasure, thanks. Thanks so much, ATN. You're welcome. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye, Doug. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye.